Steve Jobs, and Apple's future in the coming decade. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Mike Elgin, columnist and author. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me, Tanya. So give us a brief summary, Mike, of your professional hijinks. I'm an opinion columnist. I write about technology, a variety of subjects, uh, just about every major technology subject from consumer uh, gadgets to enterprise security. Uh, and I'm also a nomad, so I, uh, I don't have a permanent home. I live all over the world with my wife, and right now I'm in Mexico City. Well, thank you for taking some time out of these wonderful experiences to join us and give us some insight. Um, I want to talk about um, a, a big name in tech. In fact, it's obvious to anyone who visits your website that you write extensively about Apple, the company, its products, and its direction. The world lost Steve Jobs at the beginning of the current decade. So what did Apple lose when it lost Steve Jobs? Apple lost the one uh, force that prevented them from being more like an ordinary company. Uh, Steve Jobs made Apple an extraordinary company uh, for a variety of reasons, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But essentially, every time he left, for example, when he was fired, uh, then he came back, and then when he died, in both cases, the company uh, always started drifting back to becoming an ordinary, everyday Silicon Valley technology company, uh, and, and 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 so I think it was he was the secret sauce for that uh, that special edge. A lot of people discount his role, saying that he wasn't a coder, he wasn't a designer, he was just a marketing guy. Uh, but I think they misunderstood his uh, his role at Apple and his ability at Apple, which was unique in history and and basically will never be replicated. How did the his public persona match or differ uh, even with the Steve Jobs that those who worked closely with him actually knew? Well, I think that um, he he pretty much tried to dissolve the, the difference between him, the person, and, and, and him, the, the sort of uh, technology leader. He was, um, what was unique about him, I think, was that uh, he had two, he had a, he had a situational unique um, uh, position, and he had a personality that was uniquely geared to what he did. Situationally, he was a guy who's a, a Silicon Valley legend, worshipped by his own employees, worshipped by many in the industry, uh, who was a bit of a tyrant. He was a, he was a big jerk, basically, uh, when, he, when, when he had to be. Uh, and he, was, um, he had the, the equivalent of uh, total dictatorial powers with Apple. This is very rare. People think CEOs give orders and that everybody obeys. That's not how companies work. But he could give orders and everyone would obey. And he could give orders late. For example, when the first iPhone came out, just right before the launch, it had a, a reinforced plastic screen. He just didn't like the feel of it. So he said, no, give me glass. I don't care what it takes. When they brought the colors of the, remember the, the, the maps with the handles that had the different uh, fruity colors, uh, he just didn't like the color blue. And he just simply said, no, this isn't the color. Give me, bring me the right color. And they said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And they ran off and brought the right color. Other, other CEOs uh, can't really do that. And, and that's what it took for him to refine all the products based on his own personal obsession with simplicity, minimalism, this kind of Buddhist hippie thing where he wanted no buttons, a simple piece of glass. And he was able to dictate 
dictate those 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 specs on his product, and that's what made Apple so completely unique. And you see that as he left, the app that the product is sort of drifting away from that hyper simplicity, uh, that singular uh, you know the the one iPhone, the 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 attitude where uh, the product products that are really driving um, uh, business for Apple are appealing consumer products that are uh, you know sort of condensed and consolidated into uh, hardware software services that are all combined. Now Apple's drifting off into TV shows and financial services. I don't think it would have had it, wanted anything to do with that. So so let's elaborate on that. So in the current decade. Is there anything that Apple accomplished that they may not have accomplished if Steve were still alive? Well, um, in terms of, uh, uh, of doing better than, than they would have done under Steve Jobs? I would say, or their services. You mentioned um, some of the yeah. things that Apple's doing now that um, you don't think would have happened or, or would be happening if Steve right. were around. Well, the, the, um, in terms of, so, so Apple's in a, a bit of a pickle. They it, they became the most value valuable company in the world with this incredible growth over the last decade. And what do you do? Do you plateau and and and, and sort of like maintain that? That's a, that's kind of a disaster for a business. Do you decline? That's an even bigger disaster. No, you have to keep growing. You have to from the position of being the world's most valuable company, you have to continue fast growth. <clears throat> How do you do that? So. The current Apple is doing that with financial services. They're doing that with a whole number of things, with a lot of uh, butt kissing in China in terms of like trying to get into the Chinese market because that's where the big, big numbers are. They they're trying to make sure that there are lower price options. You know, the the, the price of things in the modern Apple is just shockingly low. Uh, you know, the price of their TV, uh, their Apple TV Plus offering the fact that they're selling older phones and cheaper phones and around the world that that's that's not a Steve Jobs a attitude who would always wanted to be top of the line expensive stuff but in terms of um, on a ne negative side I think the, the the company has gone astray a bit uh, with a number of moves that Steve Jobs would never have approved for example um, I don't think he would have allowed the company to get into Apple TV plus making content making TV shows the TV shows are terrible because Apple doesn't know what they're doing in the TV show market. He would have known that before they even started. They're throwing tons of money at these shows. And they're, you know, one of them, uh, the, uh, the morning show show is okay because it's got huge stars, but the rest of them are, are kind of laughable. I don't think Steve Jobs would have acquired Beats. I don't think Steve Jobs would have allowed the MacBook to be destroyed by all these like weird, ugly things like the touch bar, or he wouldn't have allowed the, the elimination of the MagSafe feature which was which everybody loved I don't think he would allow the company to have uh, forced customers to suffer under under the under the keyboard that everybody hated he would have quickly moved to the better keyboard that people liked uh, and instead of just trying to force people to like it um, he would have figured how how to prevent uh, Apple events from becoming boring which they are now I mean this last event you know, they rolled out all this amazing technology, but people were like, yeah, that's, you know, pretty dull and there's no excitement. Uh, so he would have always kept the, 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 uh, the Apple announcements uh, exciting. So I do think it's a, a, a very different company. I think it's a lesser company without Steve Jobs. And, um, and but that's inevitable, I guess. So you're talking about like, you know, the, basically the, the things aren't 
is good, right? But let's let's change gears for a minute. Why did you write that the new tech inside the iPhone 11 is the future of everything? The U1 chip is a is an ultra is an ultra wideband chip that you know is essentially put ultra wideband on the map as a mainstream technology for consumer electronics. Ultra wideband technology has been around for decades. But, and for many years, people have been thinking, wow, this would be great in consumer products for a whole bunch of reasons, which I'll get into in a second. But there are so many possible standards, and what are, what are the applications? How do we do this? What Apple did was they designed the U1 chip. Now, the U1 chip, the way to look at the U1 chip is that it's radar that can actually convey data. So if you think about Bluetooth, Bluetooth is somewhat similar, where not only can Bluetooth uh, convey data through, you know, a headset like these, you know, these headphones or Bluetooth, uh, but they can also be used for location. So Apple's iBeacons product, which is where you have these little plastic beacons you stick on the wall and then your phone knows that you're near that beacon, that's all done through Bluetooth 4, right? Uh, it never sort of went anywhere because Bluetooth, Bluetooth kind of sucks, you know, it's like not that great, it's not that accurate. Think about you, the U1 chip and ultra wideband is our super accurate Bluetooth. So here's what they're probably working on. So we know that they're doing this um, Apple Tags feature, which is like tile. So it's a, it's a way to lo locate your stuff. So you put, a, you put a tag on your car keys. This is, you know, a year from now, you'll be able to buy something called Apple Tags, a little circular thing with the Apple logo on it. You put it on your car keys. And then you're like, wow, where's my car key? So you whip out your uh, iPhone. You open the... Uh, Find uh, the find product, which is now going to be for people, Apple products, and anything you tag with Apple tags, and you're going to wave it around the living room. And right above where the keys are in your couch, there's going to be a, a red balloon right floating, hovering in 3D space over your keys. Why? Why can it do that? It can do that because the ultra uh, wideband U1 chip basically not only knows exactly in which direction those keys are, that tag is. But it also knows exactly how far within about you know a few inches basically. So it knows, uh, it know, it, you know, it's like behind this pillow. That's really powerful, not for finding your car keys, but when they convert iBeacons to the U1 chip, which there's indications that they are going to do that because of some patents and trademark uh, uh, news coming out of Europe, uh, then you're going to be in a situation where your phone will know exactly where you are, not pretty much generally where you are, but exactly where you are, and also where other things are uh, in space. And then the real magic is when they put it in Apple uh, smart glasses in the future. It'll be able to 3D map the real world in real time and actually give us somewhat HoloLens uh, Magic Leap-like features in much more ordinary glasses uh, for augmented reality. So augmented reality will know where things are and also be able to place things in 3D space. So for example, you'll, you'll be able to place objects on a table, virtual objects on a physical table. So the U1 chip is, is incredibly revolutionary. Everybody missed it because first of all, they didn't even mention it uh, during the keynote. They actually had it on the screen behind them as a reference. But they also, the, the first feature for this is, is for airdrop. So right now when you want to airdrop somebody and you're in a crowded place, you get every, everybody in the crowded place who's using AirDrop pops up in some random order or basic, basically a, uh, on who's closest. With, with, the, uh, with the U1 chip, you're able to point at your phone at the person you want to AirDrop, and they will be the first choice 
uh, when you airdrop. Okay, that's a pretty lame feature. I mean, it's not lame. It's just almost insignificant. So you have this thing that is of incredible, uh, it has incredible, uh, an incredible future about how it will change how, how devices work. But right now they're just using it for this little tiny thing. And by the way, the fact that Apple is doing this has caused the entire industry to go scrambling to get their, you know, the, the Android phone market and, and other consumer electronics devices scrambling to bring ultra wide bands into uh, into their product. And 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 most interestingly, there's a possibility that they'll be able to use the same standard as Apple, which is kind of shocking because usually Apple tends to be super proprietary, but they, we may have one standard for ultra-wideband and consumer electronics, thanks to Apple. And if that happens, that will be amazing. So, so as you've mentioned throughout this interview that Apple is a player in, in many domains, hardware, software, services, vehicles, entertainment content, which you obviously are not a big supporter of, and credit now, right? So yeah. what domain is Apple best positioned to dominate in 2020 and beyond? And where does its greatest vulnerability lie? Well, the, the, the place where it will dominate is where it has always dominated. So Apple, my, my uh, unified theory of Apple is that they basically have, they think of every product uh, or historically have thought of every, almost every product as either content consumption or content creation. And they've been able to dominate both of those. Now, of course, they do everything. You can do your enterprise job with an iPhone and an, and an iPad and a MacBook Pro, all the computers do all the things, but what Apple really focuses on content creation, content consumption. So if you look forward to where we're going, uh, content consumption is going to transition from uh, TVs, laptops, tablets, and smartphones into two additional areas. Now those things aren't gonna go away anytime soon, anytime within you know the next decade or two, but we're gonna add to that augmented reality, and Apple is in a great position to dominate that. There's amazing patents, patents for augmented reality glasses, uh, especially the technology for conveying video into your eyeballs. They have some really great technology for that and a whole bunch of other patents. And the other one is, is, uh, is cars. So cars, when they become self-driving, will become content consumption living rooms on wheels. And Apple will be, will be there to have Apple uh, technology in these cars uh, that will enable you to do virtual reality, augmented reality, watch movies, do video conferences, listen to music, and it's all going to be a great ex Apple branded experience. And so that's an area that they're going to get into. Not a lot of people believe in the Apple car, but I'm a believer. And I really think that that's a, a big, big deal. The, the financial services and all this stuff, this is a, I wouldn't say desperate <laughs> attempt, but this is necessary right now because Apple's not ready to continue growing with these other consumer products. They have to keep growing. Otherwise they'll get this reputation as a loser and like, you know, it'll, it'll suck the, the, the wind out of their sails. But uh, in the future, I think they're going to, they're going to probably dominate uh, the mainstream of augmented reality glasses. And I think they will dominate the mainstream or maybe the high end of self-driving cars that are also uh, content consumption vehicles for content creation. Um, I think they'll continue to do okay, but that's a much smaller market. What Steve Jobs used to call trucks and cars. They, they're going to really continue dominating the cars and they're going to do, continue to be doing really well with trucks. But the, 
car market is getting bigger and bigger, bigger, a lot faster than the truck market. And so uh, we're going to see them continue to, you know, emphasize the consumer marketplace and the, and the enterprise marketplace, and less so the content creation people, which is always going to be a small minority. Mike Elgin, columnist and author, always good to get your insights. And um, interesting, of course, you mentioned that glass, you know, of course, you mentioned virtual reality. Well, I'd love to have you come back and talk about that sometime. In the meantime, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, maybe they want to sign up for your mailing list or something else or find out more about your astronomad, how can they do that? Well, you can go to uh, elgin.com, which is my blog, and please do sign up for Mike's List, which is uh, my email newsletters uh, weekly. And uh, you can you can uh, subscribe to Mike's List just by going to elgin.com. So elgin.com is the place. All right. Thanks again, Mike. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.